Today's scripture is John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why is this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. Thank you, Liz. Uh, again, hello. And let's get into our time in, uh, in, in God's word together. As I said earlier, if you, if you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and break it out and uh, uh, get into it. Um, we're in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. And if you don't have a Bible, a copy of God's word, even one that you uh, like understand, to be honest with you, if it's like, oh, I got this old school one for my grandparents, um, l- we'd love to get you one. All right. So l- please uh, make us a, a woe where that and uh, we'd love to get you one. Um, and uh, I don't always title my sermons, but this one. Uh, the title, if you are taking notes or you're um, following along, is Worship That Fills the Whole House. All right? So, um, again, turn to John chapter 12, and we're going to get into our time, time together there. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we come before you uh, with a posture of recognizing our need for you. Um, Lord, we probably, many of us are distracted, and many of us, um, even things I've said in the first five minutes of our time together might have sparked uh, thoughts and, who knows, opinions, concerns, frustrations, excitement, whatever. Um, you know, wh- whatever it might be, Lord, we, we ask that in this moment right now, you will settle us in. We recognize that we are fickle people. Um, Lord, we, we pray that, 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 that by the work of your spirit, you will lead us. Lord, soften our hearts. Let the words of our mouth and the thoughts of our of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And we pray that through our time right now in your word, we will encounter you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let me ask you the question here. How do you respond to Jesus? All right, the scene is like this. From the outside, it would probably look like a normal dinner party. People were kind of lounging around, uh, drinking, uh, eating, laughing, right, telling stories. Uh, One woman who we know from the first couple of verses in this chapter, Martha, is scurrying around. 
She's, she's, and if you know much about this, she's sometimes referred to as a busybody or as kind of a, just someone who kind of can't sit still. She's hustling around, but she's serving. She's loving. She's doing what she knows how to do. She's filling people's glasses, right, talking to people, making sure no one has an empty plate. And then there's this guy, um, actually the host of the house, uh, we know from Mark chapter 14, is Simon the leper, uh, someone who was, who was healed himself. And, and so he's there. And then this, this other guy is there, just relaxing, lounging next to Jesus, near Jesus. This guy was dead. Like not long ago, right? For us, it's a few weeks away since, or a few weeks past that we, we talked about the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, but he's now at a dinner party. All right, this text we're in right now doesn't remind us of that, but, but again, as we zoom out, it's important for us to remember that just uh, a chapter ago, all right, uh, Lazarus, who had been dead, is now in this room eating. He's sitting there. He's talking to Jesus, and there's, there's kind of a, a feeling in the room, right? There's got to be some energy, right? Got to be some buzz, all right, with the Jesus is there. But, but let's be honest, too, as we press in, um, have you ever been around someone who you um, know is good, and, and you, and, and you're, but you're kind of in awe, and it even makes it feel a little bit scary? To me, the closest example I can think of from my life growing up, um, and you just keep this to yourself, your thoughts here, but was Santa Claus. Right, this awe, this wonder, but a little bit of fear as well. Okay, and that's the last time I'll ever compare uh, God and Santa. But I think that's important. But this, this idea, like, okay, we just kind of take Jesus for granted. We, we read this stuff. But imagine, like, even for Lazarus, right? He's like, man, you're my boy. We're friends. Okay, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, they're friends of Jesus, but... Like now it's, there's this sense, uh, C.S. Lewis has this phrase that, that uh, uh, the Aslan, who's the God figure in the Chronicles of Narnia, when asked, is, is he safe? And he says, no, 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 he's not safe. He's good, but not safe. Okay, so, so imagine what you're feeling in that room. How does Lazarus respond to Jesus? We don't know much of the rest of the life of Lazarus. Church history doesn't give us a whole lot. Um, scripture doesn't give us a whole lot of what else happened to Lazarus. But we know here that this guy, Lazarus, who raised from the dead is now there with Jesus. And there's this sense of just normalcy, hanging out, eating, drinking, right, talking, laughing, but also this undercurrent of awe, of, of, of intrigue. So again, I ask you this question. How will you respond to Jesus? Look with me in verse 3. That's where we're going to pick up here. We get a snapshot of how Mary responds to Jesus. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, a couple, again, a little while ago, we know that when her brother, Lazarus, had died, there was a sense of frustration. Okay, I talked about earlier things that many of us could be frustrated about. 
with God, right? The loss of a loved one, the, the loss of a dream. There was a sense of frustration, and she came to Jesus and said, Jesus, had you been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Right? And there's a, a sense where we need to be okay enough in God's bigness that we can verbalize our own frustrations. God, if you really were the God that I just sang about, that I think about, that I, that, that I, that I, I believe and trust you are intellectually or with my, then this wouldn't have happened. If you're good, then this wouldn't have happened. I'll be totally honest with you. Um, earlier this week, I was driving to a friend's house, and, and, and it's right as we're in this process of looking for a building, right, where we're going to meet. And I drive past, and I'll, I don't throw this out very often, but I'm going to throw this out right now. There's a straight-up cult in my neighborhood. And it's this huge building, and I'm driving past, and I'm like, sweet, the cult's got this legit building. And uh, here we are just kind of, you know, couch surfing. Like, we're not perfect. Amen? The church is not perfect, but I, I'm pretty confident we're not a cult. All right? So, like, very confident if you're concerned now. Okay, so um, we're not a cult. Um, so don't be distracted by that. Okay, come back. Come back. Meet me here. All right, but, but there's this reality of like, where are you? And here's the deal, all right? Mary in her interaction with Jesus, and even now, this is just a short time after her frustration toward Jesus. Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have, have died. And even now, she's worshiping Jesus, all right? But something that we see here is that her, her worship is imperfect, but Jesus' compassion is always sufficient. All right, I wish I wasn't alone here. Let me say that again. All right, um, her worship is imperfect. It's incomplete, but Jesus' compassion is always sufficient. So again, with that in mind, I want to ask us, I want to ask you, how do you respond to the compassion of Jesus? All right, there's a stark contrast now. Pick up with me in verse 5. There's a stark contrast to Mary's worship that fills the house. She pours out this ointment on Jesus. She responds with, with a worship that fills the house. And then in stark contrast, G Judas, one of Jesus' disciples, responds in a very different way. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. He, he's offended by, by Mary's extravagant worship. Okay, he responded with offense. And as we hear and we see here, he responded with greed. There's a quote from one commentary that I want to share with you. It says this, and I want us to consider this, and I'm going to unpack it a little bit. When people decide to worship Jesus without inhibition, to pour out their valuables, their stories, their dancing, their music before him, just the way they feel like doing, others looking on find the spectacle embarrassing and distasteful. 
Again, let me just kind of put that in our, our terms here, because sorry, I didn't have the quote up here in time for you all to, to follow along with it. But is that not real, that there's often this judgment of how we respond to Jesus that's not consistent with the rest of our lives? I don't know about you. I, I, I watch, you know, whether it's, um, you know, MTV Cribs or, you know, Pit My Ride or um, honestly, or we watch these shows about, you know, keeping up with the so-and-sos and all these different things that, that we're okay and sometimes even enamored with this extravagance, you know, that, that, that this person has this many cars or that exorbitant amount of money they make for this, this thing that they do or whatever. It's like, that's okay. Or, or just, we're okay with it. And even myself, ourselves, or I don't know if some of you saw this, this video and some of you know what you're supposed to do. Uh, this, this dad was at a baseball game with his young son and, uh, and, and a home run was hit by the other team into the stands. And so the dad grabs it and you think, oh, he's gonna give his kid this home run ball. But no, what does he do as a good dad of the home team, uh, supporting the home team, he carries his like little like two and a half year old or whatever uh, down to the edge and he kind of explains it to him and his little kid, right, chucks the ball back. He's like, we don't want that trash up here. We don't want that home run. And it was the Dodgers, by the way, who hit the home run. So especially we don't want that trash. Um, sorry, Abigail's working with the kids, so um, she won't yell at me right now. But, um, all right, there's, there's this, this sense of, that's cool, that's good. I don't know about you, if I'm at a, at a U of A game and the fans around me aren't supporting enough or heckling the other team enough or whatever it is, I might even let them know, like, don't you care? Are you a real fan right now? Like, get up, you know, on your feet. But in church, or just in general with Jesus, whoa, let's not get fanatic-y here. Let's not get, like, keep it buttoned up a little bit, you know? Let me pause for a moment, too, and say, that doesn't mean you've got to be doing the worm up and down the aisles and breakdancing, and you don't really love Jesus unless you bust out a flag. I grew up in a church like that, by the way, so we're cool with that. But that also doesn't mean you have to do that. There's all kinds we could talk about this, about being a distraction or this whole thing, and that's it. And I just, I want to pull back. I don't maybe I need to go there a little bit, um, with us, but, but not too much. Okay, again, is, is, is just get in, in, like, look at that again through the lens right now of Judas. There's this sense of what I'm comfortable with, what I can control, the way of life that I'm used to. I don't want anyone to mess with that. And whatever that could be, it could be, it could be I want way more expression, I want way less expression. It's more of I want my life to be lived this way and I want everyone else to uh, kind of circle around that. And, and that's just broken. All right, here, I want to encourage you, um, and I want to encourage us to stretch a little bit, right, to think about what, what would it look like for there to be a freedom of expression. And just like this season, again, we're all about the uh, embracing the awkward here. Our very first sermon ever as a church, we talked about you can take comfort in one thing, that we're going to be uncomfortable together, all of us, in something. Something might be really comfortable for half of us and really uncomfortable for the other. And, and Jesus is cool with that. I just want to tell you. And, like, he called people to be a part of his inner circle who, outside of his goodness, would have hated each other. But what if our church, what if the church looked like that? Amen? Did, does that excite you thinking about like, man, that person supports that team, supports that politician, supports that uh, perspective, that whatever it is. But man, Jesus is good. And, and he's invited me to a table that he's also invited them to. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about elbows on the table or not. 
you know, we're going to talk about talking with your mouth full or not. Uh, and, and we're going to figure it out together. We're going to love each other more than we love ourselves uh, because of Jesus. So, so I'll just leave that there for now. But, 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 but with Mary, we do see an extravagant kind of worship that would probably make a lot of us uncomfortable when it's about Jesus, but not about other things. But look, look deeper at Judas, all right? So put the, the heat on a little bit. I don't know what the Spirit's doing for you right now, but what often happens when we're convicted and when we've got our own mess that we're hiding is we put the heavy on uh, other people and other things, all right? Judas has this, this hidden sin, and what does he do with it? He lashes out at someone else. He says, right, there's a false religiosity. Hmm. Man, that convicts me. Am I the only one? There's this sense of this is safer right now to bring this up, to judge this other person and say, we could give to the poor. Right? He never did. This is the first time we know that he ever brought that up. But he's like, hey, we could be doing this. We could be doing that. You just brought this up. You just convicted me on this thing that's going on in society right now. Usually I don't care about this other thing, but right now I'm going to ask you, why are you bringing that up and not that? Hmm. Again, I, I'm, I do that too. Stay with me again, okay? I, I don't want to lose you right now in that and talking politics and whatever. And this isn't, just quick disclaimer, we're going to talk a lot of politics next week because it's in the Bible. Because Jesus comes in as a king and there's political weight to monarchies and expectations of what monarchies look like. And that's all over the scripture. And that's where we're going to be next week. What I pray we never do is just copy and paste outside stuff from the world and then try to fit the church into it. But I also would be quick to just tell you that's never been uh, the case. Where it has, I hope we're quick to repent of it and say that. But Scripture calls us to faithfulness, calls us to Jesus. And ultimately, Jesus, how do we respond to you? So again, I just want to ask you that question right now. Again, come back to right now, you and Jesus. How do you respond to him? Okay, we've seen Mary. We've seen Judas. Let me check my time here. Um, so next week we'll get into um, a little bit of what, what, again, what verse 8 brings up right here. But let me just read it really quickly. Um, so this is Jesus speaking, right? And he tells he tells. He tells Judas to leave her alone in verse 7, but skip ahead to verse 8 real quick. He says, the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Let me just tell you as plainly as I possibly can. This is not Jesus saying, don't worry about the poor, just worry about me right now. All right, this is, um, Jesus knows scripture way better than any of us. And uh, uh, he's actually referring to Deuteronomy chapter, um, chapter 15 that talks through the first 11 verses there, they talk about it's an indictment. Okay, he's saying, listen, until the kingdom of heaven comes in full, until like uh, your and my political structures, again, hear me now, left or right, I'll get there a little bit more uh, next week, okay? Uh, socialism or capitalism, right? Trickle down economics or just be fair and everybody, whatever it is. Jesus is saying, God is saying in Deuteronomy there, um, Hey, your, your efforts are never going to get it fully done because of your wickedness 
because you are evil people, no matter how good your, your plans are and your, your efforts, and you should still care and press in and love your neighbor and be generous and give, but because you'll never actually do it on your own, you'll always have the poor there. Not as a, an excuse to not care about uh, those in poverty. In fact, that's the exact opposite of Jesus's kingdom. But instead, it's a recognition that in our own human efforts and wisdom, we'll never love God and love our neighbor perfectly. Okay, so that's what Jesus is getting at there in verse 8. Now circle back, though, real quick with me to verse 7. And Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Okay, stop getting on to her and condemning her. She's doing something right now that's ultimately in your best interest. Okay, now again, we've got, we're about halfway through, we're a little less than halfway through John. I'm sorry, a little bit more. Yeah, we're over halfway through it, but we're going to take a break in a couple of weeks and get into Nehemiah together, but we've got a ways to go. But in case you, you don't know where we're at here, we're less than a week away. Okay, look up with me right now. Look at the cross when Jesus is hanging on that cross. And you know what earthly possession he has with him when he's hanging on that cross? Nothing other than the likely remnant of this oil that has been poured on his feet. It's a strong, it's a strong scent, right? And back then, just so you know, like when the kid that sprays axe all over himself, right? And then eventually, hopefully, thankfully, uh, takes a shower later and washes it off, at least for a little, little while, um, that's not the way culture worked back then. You, 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 uh, the oil was actually used as a way to, to wash and to cleanse. And, and so this oil would have lasted for a long time. So likely, as Jesus hung naked, ashamed, abandoned, beaten, covered in blood, covered in dirt, there was likely still a faint scent of this ointment. And when somebody died, they were, they were, um, they were, they were covered in, in oil. It was, a, it was, in a, it was an, an anointing. It was a process of, of um, honoring them in, their, in this element. So let me just, again, let me just bring us up to speed here. This is happening on a Saturday. Okay, so this is a Saturday evening, right? We're at a Saturday evening. Um, they're just, they're hanging out right now at this dinner. Mary pours oil on Jesus' feet, washes her feet, which is just, if feet were really dirty back then, this is, this is extravagant worship, all right? Like we've talked about, well, tomorrow is Palm Sunday. Tomorrow is Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, all right? And then Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, just a couple days after this. Thursday is what's referred to in kind of church history as Maundy Thursday, when Jesus is arrested. And then Friday is Good Friday, when Jesus hangs on the cross, and is crucified. And then Saturday, a week from this event, is Silent Saturday or Holy Saturday, where there's, there's consideration or question of what's going to happen next. And then Sunday, and just over a week from now, is Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. And there's a lot between now and then, but that's informing this time. And Jesus knows something that you and I don't know, that Mary didn't know. She's bringing her best as far as she can right now. 
But Jesus knows even that's not sufficient. All right, Jesus knows that she needs his death, that she is anointing him for. Jesus died for you. Okay, hear me, because I know that can be this phrase that we hear and then kind of move on right now. Can think of all your fumbling and bumbling. Well, what did you confess? What's the sin that's been done to you or the, the reality of the sin, the brokenness in the world around us that just leads us to wonder and to consider, God, where are you? What are you doing? Had you been here, this wouldn't have happened. If you really were who I, I thought you were, who I sung you were, um, I have to turn off my heart a little bit in order to sing these words out of my mouth because it doesn't feel like you're really you. In all that reality, Jesus knows it's okay. I'm pursuing you. I love you. I died for you. So again, how do you respond to Jesus' loving pursuit of you? We see three examples in the last verses of this. Let me just walk through them with us together. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Okay, these are, these are people who are intrigued. And again, look, look at me right now. I want there, this to be a norm in, in this place. Um, that might be you. You might be intrigued by Jesus. You might have heard some of the cool things he's done. You might have friends or family who you see a transformation in their lives or just an excitement or a joy or an authenticity. Maybe you're just being a nice friend and they invited you here or to sit in a living room and to watch a, a service and, and you're intrigued, all right? And I just want to tell you that's okay. In fact, that's, um, that's good. I'm really glad that, that you're here. And we see that that's really, really consistent throughout Scripture. People come and just want to see Jesus. Okay, let me, can I give you a warning, though, um, and an invitation? I, I hope you don't stay there. In my experience as a pastor, as a Christian, as a, as a family member who's a Christian and as other family members who are not Christians and have walked through different seasons of intrigue, that, that usually if you just remain stagnant, um, you actually, if you're not moving toward Jesus, you're moving away from him. All right, look ahead with me, at the, and this is kind of a, an extreme example, but look to the next verse here in verse 10 where we see people who I think were at some point intrigued by Jesus, but didn't stay there. Verse 10. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Going into verse 11, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So these are people who at one point, some of the religious authorities were intrigued by Jesus. They moved toward him. They sat down with him. They talked to him. They asked questions of him. And there, there's this sense, again, that there's, this, there, there's people that, that we see a stark contrast that, that were at one point intrigued by Jesus, but then in another place over time, Jesus becomes offensive. That's just true. Again, I don't want to try to give you a palatable Jesus, all right? I don't want to give you a pill that's in a, in a gummy bear so you'll swallow it. All right, that's not what we're, we're trying to do here. We want to we present to you the best we can do. As we've said before, all we can do is, is present to you Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then to trust, to entrust you to the Holy Spirit. 
who will lead you. How's he leading you now? Is, is Jesus wooing you to himself? Is he revealing his goodness, his compassion, his, his love, his, his kindness, his sovereignty? Again, if at some point you start to harden your heart because his, his, the offensive reality, if, if the, the bloodiness of the cross is offensive, if, if, the, if the reality that if he really is God and he speaks into every aspect of life, he speaks into sexuality, he speaks into how we handle our finances. He speaks into what we do with our anger, with how we view each other, how we relate to one another. If at some point that stuff becomes offensive or, 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 it's, or it's inconvenient, over time you will start to grow hardened and start to resist Jesus. In this case, even to the point of wanting to kill Lazarus because he's, he's turning eyes toward Jesus. But some... As I read that last verse, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. That's the whole purpose of this book, as we have talked about numerous times. John chapter, chapter uh, 20. The purpose of this book, the purpose of the Bible in general, the purpose of John, hear me, look at me right now, is that you will see Jesus. You will see that he is the Christ, the Son of God. And that you will believe in him. And that by believing, you will have life. Real life. Eternal life. Rich life. Life that shapes you right now in your grief, in your mourning, in your frustration, in your identity struggles, in, in how you relate with others, in how you navigate social norms. How do you respond to Jesus? All right, I pray that we respond even right now in a way that, that is a worship that fills the house, like Mary, but that doesn't stay there, all right, that, that shows up on Monday morning, all right, that we have a case of the Mondays, but it's, it's, it's informed by, by Jesus. It's informed by responding to him in worship, and it shows up in how we, how we sit around the dinner table on, 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 on Thursday evening. And then what we do with our, our free time on Saturday uh, evening on 4th Avenue or, you know, wherever it might be, how do we live our everyday lives so that all of life is all for Jesus? How do you, how will we respond to Jesus? Let me pray. Again, Father, um, we need you. We needed to hear from you. Um, Lord God, we're left in your hands right now. Lord, I don't know every story in this room, at home. I don't know the scenarios. Kids got Cheerios up their nose or, you know, the, the dog's doing something. And it's just, it's, it's life right now is, is difficult. But Lord, I pray that, 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 that we're in your hands. God, that we would have that same sense of awe and wonder, that we would be honest enough to say, I'm intrigued by Jesus, but I'm a little, I'm a little uneasy. Man, he wants everything. He speaks into everything. He, he's calling for me to surrender my whole heart, my, my whole life. But Jesus, through even just this passage, we see that you are good. You are not only worthy, Lord, you are trustworthy. Lord, we surrender all. 
I pray that every heart in this room will surrender all and respond to you through faith, through surrender, through worship that fills the house. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.